Hello and welcome, my microbe friends, for part two of our How Microbes Affect You podcast. If you haven't listened to part one, go ahead and hit the pause button here, hit the play button over there, and once you're done, come on back over. We'll still be here to bring you part two. Go on, we'll wait. Anyways, John and I had so much fun recording part one, and we hope you enjoyed it too. We talked about the immune system, Hawaiian birds, alcohol, genetics, nutrients, and of course, the final frontier. So if you are not convinced yet that your life is full of spectacular micro moments, hang on to your guts because we are so excited to bring you part two. John and I have five more major ways microbes impact your life every day. Let's get started. All right, your turn. All right, my next pick is microbes make cheese. Ooh, I do love me some cheese. So let me start by briefly listing off the important steps in cheese making. I thought you were going to say the importance of cheese, and I was going to say everything. I mean, yes. But I thought that was an un, that was understood without having to say it. <laughs> Anyways, so the first step is acidifying milk, and this is when you you know you cause the milk to get more and more acidic, and it starts to solidify. And then the next step is coagulation, where you add this enzyme called rennet to help it solidify, and that's when you see casein forming. And the next step is curds and whey. And that's where you have the separate uh, separation of casein, which is the solid, and whey, which is liquid, where you'll siphon it off to make things like protein powder. Oh, yeah. So they what, have to desiccate it? Yeah. Suck out the liquid, dry it out, throw it in a tub? Yeah. So the whey is the main protein source? No, for milk, casein is the main protein source. Oh. Yeah. And then afterwards, you salt it, and then you shape it. And then you ripen it. That's a lot of steps. Yeah. So how long does that typically take? Oh, it depends on the cheese. It could be from months to years, depending on how fancy you want to get. Oh, that's true, because there's like cheddar, and then there's aged cheddar, and then there's smoke-aged cheddar. Mm Mm-hmm. So microbes found in cheese, one of the biggest ones is lactic acid bacteria. Lab. And so this is added to milk at the beginning, and this induces, again, fermentation. Woohoo! <laughs> Everything uh, stones back to fermentation. Yeah. And they convert the lactose in milk to lactic acid. Which As, lowers the pH. Yep, it acidifies the milk and starts to make it solid, like I said. And there's another group of bacteria called adjunct bacteria. And these are microbes that are added to develop the flavors of the cheese. They add additional microbes? Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought it was all just the natural stuff. They will add it. There's also a lot of natural stuff that gets into the cheese. Like, oh. eat. it can be at the beginning with the milk stage or throughout. It's not a sterile process. They allow things to happen. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Fermentation. And then another is non-starter lactic acid bacteria. And this grows as the cheese ripens, but they still don't exactly know what the role is of this. And it's found naturally in milk. Or it gets picked up along the way, like I said. Mm. Another group is eye formers. Eye formers? Yeah. This is where you get your Swiss. Oh, it's the holes. Yeah. It's not an eye. They call it an eye. What they do is they convert the lactic acid that's been produced and turn it into CO2. And that's where you get the 
bubbles. Ooh, I do love me some bubbles. Yeah. Why are bubbles so fascinating? I don't know. Why I just you, love them. You just asked that fish from Finding Nemo. Oh my God, he's my hero. <laughs> Him and Buddy the Elf. <laughs> we also have molds, usually white or blue, and the white ones are Penicillium camemberti. Penicillium camemberti. Thank you. This is uh, the most popular white mold, and it's the white mold that covers brie, and it also gives uh, mushroom flavor. Wait, there's mold on brie? Yeah, that white layer on brie is mold. I thought that was wax. No. Whoa. Another mind blown <laughs> moment. And you also have blue mold with penicillin. Blue cheese! Yep. You have penicillium rock 40 and penicillium glacum. And they're added to the milk. And last but not least, you have yeast. Saccharomyces cerevisiae. I did not come across that in my reading, but I would not be surprised. It's always Saccharomyces cerevisiae, I feel. Some yeast species give a brainy appearance to some cheese. Brainy! Yeah, if you look it up it, at some cheese, it looks like a brain. It's pretty crazy. Dude, we should post that on Med. And other yeast are really important in aging process. So in essence, would be no cheese without microbes. And that would be a travesty. It would be a huge travesty. Terrible. What about your next pick? All right, moving on to number seven. Microbes are responsible for some of my favorite weather. We're talking snow and we're talking rain. Snow? Now, yes, but we're going to talk about rain first. Okay. Because rain, I feel like, comes before snow. I know I'm not the only one who loves the smell of rain. Do you love the smell of rain? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, it's so good. So this smell even has a name. It's called Petrichor. That is a great name. And there is a board game also called Petrichor. But we don't play it because we read that it didn't have anything to do with microbes. And that makes me angry because Petrichor is made by microbes. Yeah, they're like the main part of making it, right? Yeah. So if I'm wrong and Petrichor does actually show that microbes make it, let me know because I will buy that game so fast because <laughs> I love me some microbes. Because we don't have enough board games as it is. Exactly. So this delightful and most enchanting smell is created by microbes, mainly Streptomyces. And Streptomyces produces a compound called geosmin, which turns and produces Petrichor. So that smell of rain that I love, Petrichor, the name of the game, all is made by microbes. Wow. Wow. They're amazing. And recently, I think it was this year, they actually figured out why Streptomyces makes this smell. Why is that? So they are attracting springtails, which eat Streptomyces. It's a good evolution thing, huh? Wait, why are they being eaten? So Streptomyces can form spores, and the springtails are attracted to the ge geosmin. And the springtails will eat the Streptomyces spores, and then the springtails, which are motile, they can move around, will move to a new location and spread more Streptomyces. Oh, so it's like seeds and fruit. Exactly. Ah, okay. What is unclear is why humans... Like, a lot of humans love the smell of petrichor, but there's, like, no real evolutionary reason why we should smell it, which I think is kind of interesting to think about. 
Yeah, it doesn't really alert us to anything. If it's raining, we already know by the time it starts smelling like that, right? We have such poor olfactory glands like compared to other species. Like, Why should a geosmin be so intense that we can smell it? Any thoughts on that, let us know. We have so many questions to our audience today. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you're writing these down. It's great. We want to hear from you. Faux show. John, did you ever catch snowflakes on your tongue as they fell from the sky when you were a kid? Or yeah. like last week? As a kid, yes. <laughs> I did last week. But do you know that they are actually catching Pseudomonas syringae on your tongue? I did not know that. Yup. Every snowflake starts as a unique Pseudomonas syringae. Aw. So cute. Do you know how they do it? How do they do it? It's from a protein called INAZ. So INAZ coats the surface of the bacterium and its protein and does two things. The first is it changes the position of the water molecules forming the snowflake structure, which we all love and think is so beautiful. Secondly, it sucks out the heat, thus helping to form ice. Oh, okay. And eventually the bacterium creates a giant, well, compared to the microbe, giant frozen parachute to gently guide it back down to the surface. Now, is it still alive at the end there? It's, they think so. I don't know if anyone's fully determined if they're alive, but they think they are alive because Pseudomonas syringae can, inca- can cause infection on plants, mostly tomatoes, I think. And they will find fields that don't have any Pseudomonas syringae, no disease from Pseudomonas syringae. It rains or snows, and then they do have this disease. That's a pretty cool way to transport it to a new site. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting. And we've even figured out how to harness these proteins. This is how they make artificial snow, which extends skiing and snowboard seasons, which is so important during climate change when we have these days where it snows two and a half feet and the next day it's 50 degrees and rains. Yeah, I know this year we haven't had too much rain and I know some of the slopes up north have been struggling. Yeah, well, you know, Pseudomonas if you're skiing, you have them to thank. Number eight, what you bring into us, John? So, microbes help the immune system. Helps us against COVID? Mm, Not that I know of. And of course, the most studied is the interaction between the intestines and the gut microbiome. Gotta love that gut. Gotta love that gut. And one of the ways it helps mature a person's immune system, and they studied this in mice that have no microbes. These mice have much less white blood cells in the lining of their intestines and these white blood cells it's their job to monitor what's going on in the gut and be early to the scene to fight a possible infection and they also know a specific type of white uh, white blood cell t helper cell is absent and this is important in activating effector white blood cells it's really important in starting an immune reaction oh that is really important Uh, scientists find that This all goes back to normal once you introduce bacteria into the gut. This really shows that the immune system of your intestinal tract really relies on bacteria being there. I'm going to quote, The intestinal microbial diversity during early life colonization is critical to establishing an immunoregulatory network that protects the induction of mucosal IgE, which is linked to allergy susceptibility. So what does that all mean? IgE is the cause 
of the release of chemicals which lead to an allergic reaction. Oh, and the microbes are playing it down. So like the allergic reaction either doesn't happen or it's a lot less severe. So that kind of links to some of the studies they've done with humans where they look at people who grew up in really sterile environments having more allergic reactions compared to people that grew up on, say, farms. Yeah, so this is really, there's a, a big theory that's circling right now and it keeps getting more traction and more evidence where, like you said, the more you're exposed to earlier in life, the less your body like overreacts. Thank you, mom, for letting me eat so much dirt growing up. <laughs> and microbes also maintain homeostasis in the gut. I love that word, homeostasis. <laughs> it's fun to say. Yeah. And your immune cells have receptors for pathogenic organisms, which causes an, a reaction like inflammation. So, you know, if you have like diarrhea, that's one of the possible side effects is your immune systems causing this inflammation to occur. However, these receptors also recognize, I'm going to say it, I know you're going to hate it, commensal bacteria, ah. like Bacteroides fragilis. Not a commensal. Uh, which paradoxically prevents or leads to anti-inflammatory response. So it's not a commensal. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also many other ways to maintain homeostasis. I read a, a review and it went into a lot more detail than I could understand, so. As often academic papers do. Yeah. They're possibly also involved with autoimmune responses and bacteria or microbes may cause or prevent autoimmune reactions depending on the microbe. It's possible that our body may be tricked into attacking our own cells. So some white blood cells mature in the intestines but one of our organs in our body thymus that's where most white blood cells mature thymus in our throat exactly so what portion are in our intestines i don't know the ratio hmm. <laughs> there's so much immune research done around the gut because you have a lot of organs and organelles that are associated with the immune system and you have a lot of different types of immune cells and some bacteria produce proteins that are very similar to ours. And this similarity could cause the immune system to think our cells are invaders. Well, that's not good. And a study in uh, 2017 from Massachusetts General Hospital, Boston, showed that immune cells' reactions to microbial peptides corresponded to matching human peptides. Hmm. And there was also a study with people with multiple sclerosis. They were found to have bacteria in different quantities than those, uh, those that did not have this autoimmune disorder. And when they implanted mice with these different communities, they found that the mice that had the multiple sclerosis microbiome got sicker. So we may find out a lot more in the next couple of years if microbes are integral in autoimmune disorders. Yeah, I kind of think they are. Me too. So what's your number four? So my number four is they are small 
but mighty. I always like to say I am fighting for the little guy, the little guy that no one ever sees or ever likes to talk about. I fight for my grubs. You may not see them, but they are totally calling the shots. The shots on everything. And I'm going to list three things, but really I hope that we've kind of showed that everything is impacted by microbes. So even in today's society, you can see this pretty clearly that there is one microbe in particular, I will not name names, but I'm sure you all know who it is, is running the world right now. But there are thousands, name millions of other microbes helping the world go round every single day, every single second. What about right now? Yep, right now. Okay. And now. So it's estimated that half of the photosynthesis on our planet is carried out by microbes, not those plants, mainly phytoplankton and the bacteria Prochlorococcus. If you dig back to your high school biology class, you'll recall photosynthesis is the process of creating food from sunlight and carbon dioxide and releasing waste products, which we all love, oxygen. And I'm sure breathing is one of those top things that are kind of essential, but you like almost never think about it. Eh, we'll say it's in the top five. <laughs> it's kind of important. All that oxygen you're breathing. Yeah. Microbes, phytoplankton, and the oceans. Love them. Next, I want to talk about. About what? Decomposition. Dead Ooh. things. Breaking down stuff. Yeah. So, no one likes to talk about dead things, but, like, things die all the time. Yeah. And eventually, those dead things go away. Which you needed to, or else they're all going to pile up. Yeah, could you imagine if the world didn't have any decomposition, and there was just dead things everywhere? How many dead things would there be? How would we get rid of them? Luckily, we are fortunate enough to have all the bacteria and fungi and molds and protozoa that help decompose all the dead tissue from all the organisms in all the world. So not to mention that when the bacteria and fungi and the molds and the protozoa decompose these tissue and enhances the soil and helps with nutrient cycling, allowing plants to grow and thrive, and then allows us to eat the plants. What's taken away is given back. Exactly. The circle of life brought to you by microbes. So microbes are Mufasa. Uh, yes, they are <laughs> Mufasa. Finally, I want to talk about another thing that people don't like to talk about. What? But is so essential to our everyday society. And this, of course, would be wastewater treatment plants. Oh, that's so important. Yes. So wastewater treatment plants is often regarded as one of the top innovations that led to urbanization and the city. Cities would not be a thing. I mean, they're sort of not a thing right now because of a certain microbe, but they would not be a thing at all without microbes. Every seven years, we produce a volume of wastewater equivalent to all the water in all the world's rivers. I can't even imagine that right now. It's a lot of wastewater. 60% of this wastewater is treated and released. This process could not happen without, you guessed it, microbes. A recent article by Wu al looked at the global diversity and biogeography of bacterial communities and wastewater treatment plants and found there are 28 core bacterial species across the globe. 
out of the estimated 10 to the 9th different bacterial species. Is that like a billion? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. 28 is a very small percentage compared to the number of microbes found in the global wastewater. It may seem like a dirty job to us, but the microbes love the rich nutrient-dense environment. They just gobble it up, right? Yeah. So, John, tell me, what is your last and final way that microbes affect humans? Well, my last one is they make medicine. Oh, that is super important. Yeah. And I'm going to go back a little bit and talk... Let me guess. 1928? Yes. (laughs) That's where it all started for us. Our dear boy, Alexander Fleming. Because we have the discovery of penicillin. And penicillin was first discovered by Alexander Fleming. As you may recall in one of our previous blogs. It was like four blog posts. We got real excited about that one. Yeah. But... It wasn't until the 1940s where, when Moldy Mary discovered a new strain of penicillium, which gave higher yields of penicillin and really allowed for the widespread production and distribution of this antibiotic. I mean, the discovery of penicillin led to the search for other antibiotics. 1944, streptomycin was discovered and others like actinomycin and neomycin. And they all came from the same species of soil bacteria, Streptomyces. Other antibiotics include like bacitracin, what you use for cuts, tetracyclines, and chloramphenicol. But this eventually tapered off as in the 1970s, really pharmaceutical companies switched over to synthetic ways to produce antibiotics. But we wouldn't be where we were without them. I mean, even synthetically, aren't they still using E. coli and yeast as powerhouses to produce a lot of the antibiotics? Or is everything totally synthetic now? I don't think everything is totally synthetic. Microbes also produce anti-cancer drugs. That's important. Over 60% of the chemicals that have anti-cancer activity are either derived from or isolated from microbes. They are the best chemists in the world! They nail it down Mm -hmm. really well. And the oldest chemical used for cancer treatment is actinomycin D. Now, if you remember me saying actinomycin was an antibiotic, this is very closely related. It's used to treat Wilms tumors in children. These are kidney tumors. Oh. Uh, Another chemical is anthracyclines. And this is effective against more types of cancer than any other class of anti-cancer drug. Both these examples work by affecting DNA in tumor cells and prevent RNA transcription. Not only that, microbes are used to genetically engineer engineer drugs and you already hit on this before right this is the e coli and the yeast yes so we can insert genes into microbes and make them produce drugs for us not all microbes mind you but the one we have a couple e coli and yeast well those are the ones that we have learned the most of what most about through genetics exactly the whole genome sequence i think both have synthesized genomes as well and they both have very good tools for genetically modifying and to create or to get them to create certain 
metabolites that we require. Exactly. And so E. coli and yeast are used to make things like insulin for diabetic patients. We also can make clotting factors for hemophiliacs or erythropoietin, which is a chemical that stimulates red blood cell growth and is used to treat some types of anemia. And it doesn't stop there. If you look at a lot of biotech companies right now, they are using microbes to create a plethora of different chemicals, proteins, what have you. Like uh, what? Some are trying to use microbes to create antibodies. Oh, yeah. And even more into cancer drugs as we learn more and more about cancer. Mm. And that's why I think they deserve a spot because they produce so many different types of drugs for us. Yeah, definitely important. So if you hate your immune system, hate alcohol, hate cheese, hate... What else do we talk about? Hate the- snow, hate rain, hate the smell of rain. Hate, hate being healthy. Hate being healthy. Hate the birds in Hawaii, which why would you? <laughs> hate Cliff the C. Diff, C. Diff sniffing dog, then you may hate microbes and that is your choice. However, if any of those things are of interest to you, oh, and if you like breathing oxygen, um, then you should like microbes. That's all we're saying. Everyone should love microbes. They're on my side. If you don't like them, at least respect them because they do a lot for you. Yes. Or be grateful. Be grateful for your micro brethren <laughs> or sisterin. Why is that not a word? Your microbial overlords. There we go. Yep. That works. Well, microbial nation, that brings us to the end of our show. And if you think we are missing anything, Which we know we did because microbes have a limitless potential and impact, well, for everything. You can send us an email at microbigales at gmail.com or you can add us on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, or all the socials at microbigales. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S. If you've learned something new, we encourage nay. We challenge you to share it with a friend. And I know I learned something new today. Did you learn something new today? Uh, yeah. Now I know that snowflakes aren't made without microbes. Yeah. We all need some positive combo to start out this year, and hopefully some of these do the trick for you. We, we hope, hope you, you enjoyed, enjoyed listening, and we hope you and your mighty microbes are making a marvelous micro moments right now and, and always. always. Bye. Bye.